from Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Carl Cranston Simmons. This is Podcast in Place, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. When the Pfizer vaccine was approved for children ages 5 and older, Laura Norton Cruz was relieved to be able to get her two young kids vaccinated, and she knew the perfect place to take them, her mother's birthing center where they were holding vaccine clinics. To make the experience even more comfortable for the kids, Laura's father, a retired pediatric radiologist, administered the shots. At Me producers Ada Bjorkman and Madison Knudsen spoke to all five family members to hear their different perspectives on the experience. They also discussed communicating with other parents about getting the vaccine for their children, how misinformation disrupts the community, and what the kids are most looking forward to once they are fully vaccinated. They spoke over Zoom, so please bear that in mind when you hear the audio. So, Lara, uh, could you please introduce yourself and your family? Yeah. So, my name is Laura Norton Cruz. I'm here with my two kids, Aida Luna, who is um, seven, almost eight, and Rio, who is five. Hi, I'm Barbara Norton, and I'm a nurse practitioner and a nurse midwife here in Anchorage, Alaska. And I'm Dr. Bradley Cruz, retired physician in Anchorage, Alaska. Maybe you guys should also say you're the grandparents of Ida and Rio. And we are the grandparents of Ida and Rio, age seven and five. And the, yeah, the parent of me, the parent <laughs> of me. Is there anything else you guys want us to know about like uh, your position as doctors and uh, nurse practitioners that we need to know in reference? In reference to giving shots? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we give shots. We're doing vaccination clinics through my office, which is Geneva Woods Birth Center. Um, I'm pretty sure we're the only birth center in the country that's actually doing COVID vaccination clinics. Um, And we started in January in order to get our staff vaccinated quickly. And then it just morphed from there. So now we've given over 700 people their shots. It's been really rewarding. And I have some relevant experience for this undertaking, especially as it applies to giving children shots, because uh, I was a pediatric radiologist. And prior to that, I had two years of pediatric residency before becoming a radiologist and pediatric radiologist. That's why I get roped into coming to the clinic to help give shots. So, well, we've been watching the news and we saw that the 12 to um, 15 age group was going to be approved for Pfizer shots. So we scheduled a clinic and we held it outdoors and had it tense and we gave shots to about 60 12-year-olds that day. And then we did the same thing when five-year-olds became eligible. We were watching the news. We scheduled a clinic the very first Saturday, and we gave shots to 66 kids the first week. Wow. That's great. I'm glad that there's some clinics out there that are doing that, because I haven't had any information about that. That's really great. Well, this next question is targeted at um, the kids if they want to talk. Um, With your mom being in public health and your grandparents um, being doctors, 
I feel like you guys would know a lot about COVID and would you guys care to talk about it? So explain what COVID is, what it does to people. Kills people when they're old. <laughs> yeah. Um, and sometimes when they're not old. Huh. Mm. What else, Rio? What do you know about COVID? Um, people from not getting sick. The, what helps people from not getting sick? Shot. Yeah, the shot. Uh-huh. You want to explain? COVID is a very tasty bacteria, but it's exactly smaller than not a bacteria, but it's, it's a, a virus that... Mm -hmm. um, COVID is a virus. COVID, COVID is a virus, and it sort of looks like a crown. Mm-hmm. For some reason, but a round crown. Exactly. So why is it called coronavirus? Because coronavirus is crown in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And what does oh. it do to people? <laughs> Makes people very, 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 very sick. Well, that's a great explanation. Thank you, Rio. <laughs> and thank you, Ida. I know that uh, for a while, kids weren't able to get the vaccine. So how did you guys feel about not being able to get the vaccine um, when your parents could? We are really good. <laughs> good? <laughs> So you said you felt weird about it, Rio. Why, why did it feel weird that you couldn't get the vaccine? Because they wanted to go to the store. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and we couldn't take you to stores, huh, when you weren't vaccinated? Or movie theaters. Or movie theaters. Or Ace to Oasis. Uh-huh. What about you, Ida? I would have felt good because then I didn't have to get pricked with a needle. <laughs> Can you tell them about one of the times when you got exposed to COVID at camp or at school and we had to stay um, home and get tested, get swabs up your nose a bunch of times? Well, I didn't feel really good when I had to do that because then I was, um, well, no, because then I had to leave um, school for about like, a week? for about like a week. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty lonely. And I hated getting swabbed up my I know. I didn't like getting my COVID tests either. And I uh, I get the scary part of vaccines and being a little afraid of the needles and stuff. So uh, to kind of add on to that question, when they did approve uh, the vaccine for kids aged 5 to 11, how did you guys feel about being able to get the vaccine and being able to like do the things that you didn't get to do before, like go to the movies or have family dinner? Good, but not good. Good part is that we got to go more places. Um, yeah. What do you look forward to doing when you have all your antibodies? Because we're only halfway there right now. Going swimming pool. Oh, you're excited to go to swimming pools when you have all your antibodies? Rio, how did you feel when, how did you feel when you found out that you could finally get the vaccine? Um, go to eight to races. You're, you're excited for that? <laughs> Bradley, would you like to explain how you prepared your grandkids for the shot? Yes, I'd be happy to. 
we tried some uh, numbing jelly that you put on the skin and it numbs the skin. I thought it might inspire some confidence and buy some cooperation. That wasn't nearly as useful as the distraction of this little vibrating honeybee that you put on the skin and it vibrates the skin. And after a while, the skin becomes desensitized a little bit. And then you have the child take that bee and hold it on their other leg. And that distracts them. They're thinking about that bee on their other leg. And then I sneak in and give them a shot quite quickly with a very tiny little needle. And kids who aren't totally focused on the needle and the fear of the pain, they don't feel it. It's actually a nearly painless shot. And Rio, in fact, found it quite painless. He, he laughed. That's interesting. So you just distracted the kids so that- Yeah, there, there is a little actual skin desensitization that you can do with the buzzy or with the medicine that soaks in, but it's really not required. The distraction is, is good enough and, and being quick with a small needle. I posted a photo of Rio uh, using the Buzzy Bee and my dad giving him the shot. Um, I posted it on Twitter um, uh, to inspire confidence for other children who are gonna go get their shots. And a mom of a five-year-old um, watched it, showed it to her five-year-old. Her five-year-old said, okay, I wanna do it just like that. I wanna do it just like that boy. And so, and they, their pediatrician like didn't have a buzzy bee, so they used an electric toothbrush instead. But the little girl wanted a buzzy thing. Like she learned from watching Rio's video that she wanted a buzzy thing, and she didn't cry, and she had a good shot experience. Um, and then another friend showed the video to her eight-year-old, and he watched it. Dad, you should probably tell this story since you were there. Yeah, he was quite afraid of needles and shots. And he got brave enough to come in and cooperate nicely for the vaccination by watching that video several times, his mom said. And it worked. He was, he was quite good. That's great. I'm glad that we're finding other ways to kind of distract kids because I know that's kind of a, something that a lot of people are scared of, a lot of kids. Um, getting a shot. Do you know if uh, any other vaccination sites have been implementing busy bees or any sort of like distraction techniques like that? I have heard from some parents that their, uh, their pediatric office does use um, similar methods, at least with the buzzy bee, but not all places apparently. Uh, Laura, did the kids have any side effects from the shots afterwards? Any sore arms, fever, anything like that? Um, they did not, no. Um, they, so we, my kids are pretty small, so we did it in their legs. I think most kids get it in their arms. Um, I just said that her leg was sore the next day. Um, I sent her right after getting her shot. I did it right before running club. And so I wanted her to run around on her leg as much as possible. I wanted both kids to, because I knew that would disperse the you know, the, the reaction um, so that they're, they would be less sore in the side of the shot. And so they did a bunch of running and I think that helped um, their legs be less sore. Rio, do you want to talk about it? Was your leg sore the next day? Nope. Did you feel, how did you feel the next day after your shot? I don't know, I forgot. The next day after I got the shot, um, I felt really, 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 really sore. Because I have run really, really hard. And um, this one's directed at the kids again. 
do they have any advice or anything about getting vaccinated for other kids? Well, um, I think that's kind of good getting the vaccination as well because then I would be able to protect other kids so then I could have more play dates. Play dates are always fun. Real? Okay, what's your advice for other kids? Uh, uh, being brave. Being brave. You were really brave. Well, thank you for sharing, Ida and Rio. It's really helpful um, for other kids to share so that parents and um, kids of the same age can learn and um, get educated and maybe not be as scared in the future about getting vaccines. Bradley and Barbara, would you guys like to talk about how your family adjusted to life during the pandemic? Uh, Post-vaccination or pre-vaccination? You can talk about both. Well, honestly, it's so different. Once we became vaccinated in January, uh, we were just less worried about our children possibly being exposed and our grandchildren being exposed and giving it to us. You know, 80% of the people who die are over 65. So we're in a higher risk group. And so we couldn't wait to get vaccinated and couldn't wait to get our entire family vaccinated so that we could get together without masks. And that same lifting of the anxiety about getting COVID that we experienced when we got vaccinated, we got to witness over and over again when we started vaccinating adults in the clinic, the response was quite uniform. People were just elated at the lifting of the anxiety, even though they still had a second shot and you know almost a month to run before they were actually fully immunized. That very first shot, they had this same joyful relief reaction. We've also had parents say that they were relieved when they got their shots, but it's but that the relief when their children are getting their shots is 10 times stronger. They have been so anxious about their children becoming sick that they just have an incredible sense of relief when their child gets that first shot. I can add to that, you know, as a parent of young children who were not eligible for so long, I mean, this pandemic has been going on for so long and our kids are only now, you know, half protected, right? They've gotten their first shot. It makes, you know, I try to be a really, really good mom and it feels um, scary to not be able to protect your children, you know, and I can protect them by where I take them or where I don't take them and making sure they wear masks when they're with me, but I, I can't protect them when they're with their dad or I can't protect them when they're at school. I just have to hope that the protocols at school and their masking is good enough. And so to be able to actually do something <laughs> to protect them um, on an antibody level feels like such a relief. Like I can finally do my you know full duty as a mom. We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for you to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. So, if you are between the ages of 13 and 24 living in Alaska and interested in joining ATME, 
go to alaskateenmedia.org slash join. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Now back to our interview with Laura Norton Cruz and her family. So, um, Laura, when did you first decide that you would get your uh, kids vaccinated? What was that kind of moment for you? Um, you know, I, I trusted the science of the vaccine trials. Um, I actually knew someone in the, in the Pfizer trial um, in California, an adult. And so when it became available to me, I did it as soon as possible. Um, you know, I, I trusted the process. I knew that they'd been working on coronavirus vaccines for years. Um, I understood that the mRNA, you know, methods were safe. Um, and so I got it as soon as I possibly could. And I knew that when it was approved for children that they would have done their due diligence and done safe trials. And so I knew I'd get it for them as soon as possible. I also knew that even if there was some risk associated that it's likely less than the risk uh, of my kids getting COVID. Um, I've been, you know, I have friends whose, whose kids have had uh, cardiomyopathies and um, loss of taste and other long COVID symptoms. Um, and I've been reading about long COVID in kids. And I know that it's not the majority of cases, but it's still common enough that I didn't want my kids to get COVID. So I was eager to get them vaccinated as soon as it was approved and was tracking the approval process, tracking when the trials were done, when the evidence was turned in, uh, hoping for it to happen quickly. So from that, I gathered you didn't have many concerns about the vaccine or like that getting your kids vaccinated. My concerns were uh, addressed by the, you know, the efficacy of the trials and the safety of what they found. Do you have like specific examples of what those um, concerns were, if any, or like the ones you were worried about during the trials? I mean, just in general, right, they have to test vaccines to make sure that um, there's a low risk of anaphylaxis, that there's a low risk of, you know, blood clotting or any other um, side effects. And um, I felt confident that the, the way it was designed was uh, to reduce those risks and that the testing showed that, you know, those risks were not, um, not very large. I'll just add that, um, you know, I trust uh, vaccine science. Right? We don't have smallpox because of the smallpox vaccine. Uh, you know, the polio vaccine largely eradicated polio. So I, I have followed the recommended vaccine schedule from the American Academy of Pediatrics since my children were babies. Um, the risks of vaccines are very minimal compared to the benefits and compared to the risks of, you know, preventable viruses. So I really do trust the people who develop and monitor the safety of vaccines and, um, and the, the overall public benefit that they provide to my children and to all children, right? Because I know what my, I've taught my children since they're very young is that when they get vaccines, they're not just protecting themselves, they're protecting everyone around them, including and especially those who are most vulnerable. So they couldn't articulate that clearly today while being silly, but, um, but they, can, they can explain that. So you've described a lot of like what your concerns were about like not being able to get the vaccine and just your experience. Um, so I'll offer this question to everyone. Um, what concerns are parents voicing to you about getting their kids vaccinated? And what do you tell them when they voice their concerns to you? 
Yeah, I'm trying to make space to have more open conversation where parents who are concerned about the vaccine can feel safe uh, expressing that and asking their questions. Because if you if they don't feel like they can ask those questions uh, without being judged, then they won't ever get them answered. Um, I'm not, I don't work in that directly. So if I'm having those conversations, it's just as a friend. Um, and some of the concerns, I think people are, are worried that they'll have to take off days of work for their kids having side effects and being sick. Um, so I've told them, generally speaking, kids are not having big side effects or not getting sick. You, you'll probably be able to just work and go to school like normal the next day. Um, other concerns, uh, you know, I, because of the history of medical trauma and unjust medical experimentation on communities of color, I do have some black friends who are concerned about, um, or who just, you know, have a, a fear of medical systems. And so one of them dealt with that by getting the Moderna vaccine because it was developed by a black woman and that felt a lot safer. And since the Moderna vaccine isn't available to children yet, um, you know, I've talked with them about their concerns uh, about the Pfizer vaccine, um, you know, being developed in a, in a different way. Um, and the advantages of getting what you can now, which is Pfizer, and maybe someday Moderna boosters will be available to children. Um, but really hearing, you know, where that, that medical trauma history comes from. Um, I think we have to have a trauma-informed approach to vaccine hesitancy. Um, it's not only kind of willful not wanting to get it. Some people have either medical trauma histories, historical medical trauma histories, or other trauma histories that make them um, afraid. And so being able to hold space for that um, and really hear them and, and empathize with them and then give them information in a way that, that feels um, helpful and non-judgmental. And also just like the advantages, like don't, our kids could have a play date together. I mean, some of it I've been like, hey, are, is your kid vaccinated yet? I can't wait till we can have a play date. And it's just like that little reminder or they'll say, oh, my kid is really afraid of needles. And I said, oh, well at Geneva Woods, they use a Buzzy Bee and I can even give you some lidocaine cream for your daughter. I just had this conversation yesterday with a friend who, who I wanna have a play date with. Um, and so, you know, kind of helping just ask those questions and offer ideas to people. So what I'm hearing in the clinic is I'm hearing parents of children under five saying, "When can, I'm so anxious, when can I get my one-year-old vaccinated? And I'm also hearing some concerns from parents just who don't use the typical vaccination schedule. They go slower. So they're actually wanting to wait and watch for a couple of the years before they vaccinate their children. I'm kind of hearing two different extremes with regard to parent concerns. Very interesting. And Barbara, earlier you mentioned that the clinic was um, a birthing center and that was it was giving out vaccines. Could you tell us why that is? It honestly started in January because we wanted to get our we wanted to get our entire staff vaccinated when medical providers got were eligible. We just wanted to vaccinate the staff so we could guarantee our clients when they came in to see us that they wouldn't get infected seeing us. Then we started um, just opening up more vials because we had, they give you a hundred, you have to use a hundred. So we invited a bunch of 75 year olds over to get vaccinated. And once we did that, we were absolutely hooked because vaccinating old people was just wonderful. They were so grateful and so fun. 
we met so many interesting people with stories. It, it was really so much fun. We just haven't stopped. And each time they open a new age group, we just have clinics and invite them over. We, I don't think we'll ever stop doing COVID vaccines. And now we're giving out state flu vaccines because we just want to be able to provide that service for people. If I might add, one of the, one of the uh, reactions that we saw a lot with the elderly people that we saw in our first round of vaccinations goes to this issue of the cost of the COVID pandemic, which is a lot of these people were uh, isolating at home. They were scared to go out in public. They were scared to go anywhere. And so when they came to the clinic, you could sense that they were just so eager to talk and they were so happy to see people. And when we gave them that shot, that to them symbolized that they were going to soon be able to go resume socializing again. And you could tell they were suffering for lack of socialization. They just wanted to stay and talk. And then Barbara, to bring it back to your job at the um, birth center, so, um, and just kind of like your job as a midwife throughout COVID, uh, could you speak to specific concerns about COVID and the vaccine when it comes to your patients and your work as a midwife? Sure, so last year when vaccines were not available, everybody was pretty cautious. We had a couple of our pregnant people get vaccinated um, get vaccinated when they could starting this year. Last year, we had a few people get COVID when they were pregnant. It was pretty scary. This year, we're seeing that about 50 to 60% of our pregnant people are vaccinated coming into pregnancy. And so now, unfortunately, because of the wave in Anchorage, we're seeing, um, we're seeing, I would that a half of our unvaccinated pregnant clients getting COVID, we get a several calls a week saying, I'm positive, I have COVID and we're ordering monoclonal antibodies for them. So it's pretty frightening. We're seeing more adverse outcomes because of COVID. We're definitely seeing more stress because of COVID. Um, we, are, we have been encouraging our pregnant clients to get vaccinated and sometimes we're successful in talking them into it. Most of them are choosing to get vaccinated after their babies are born. But unfortunately, some of them are getting it before they complete their pregnancy. Well, have you found any like specific approaches that work better when talking to patients about their concerns about the COVID vaccine? Um, you know what, it's just more a continued relationship and continued talking about it. I actually think mandates work. We've had a couple of people come in and say that they were forced to get vaccines because of their jobs. And it's like, okay, that's great. I, I feel like that's actually been the number one reason that they've agreed to get vaccinated. So um, I support that in certain jobs. I've talked to some people um partially like on Twitter, on Facebook, as well as in person who, um, you know, weren't sure about getting it during pregnancy. And the most convincing argument I think I've seen is that it passes antibodies onto your baby. And since children, young children can't get the vaccine yet, um, it's such an advantage that newborns, um, you know, who, whose moms vaccinate during pregnancy and uh, newborns who are breastfeeding, uh, you know, from a vaccinated mom are able to get those antibodies. Well, thank you for letting us know about that. Um, just kind of more information about pregnancy and vaccines, because a lot of people are um, not misinformed, but just don't have the um, information that they need. 
Um, and then Laura, um, could you tell us about your uh, work in public health and how your job changed during the pandemic? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, right uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I took a temporary COVID funded, you know, kind of federal emergency COVID fund position at the state. Um, and I did a, a variety of things, but I largely supported public health nursing um, with kind of trauma-informed approaches, supporting how they can deal with clients who are being difficult. Um, so I supported public health nursing with things like uh, you know, callers who are who are uh, saying abusive things to them on the phone when they're trying to do contact tracing. And then I also produced a lot of communications materials, um, trying to help the public information team um, reach more audiences, doing Spanish language COVID PSAs, um, producing other really kind of targeted pieces for different audiences, um, and also worked with emergency Department of Emergency Management and um, some nonprofit leaders to develop a, a, a guide for families, for parents to think about what to do if they get COVID and having a plan for their children. So we developed a guide for, to kind of walk parents through the steps of if you, if you have symptoms, you know, how to get tested. And then if you have COVID thinking, coming up with a backup plan for your children in case you get really sick. And then we kind of worked on some systemic issues for that. How has, uh misinformation about COVID and COVID vaccines affected what you guys do? Uh, it, it means we have clients getting COVID because they have a misunderstanding. It means that we, I see people who have lost their contact with their parents, their best friends, because they're so divided on whether or not COVID is real, whether or not the vaccines are safe. Um, it, has, it has impacted the stress level of women. I have never seen clients this stressed ever. Um, if, if anyone is interested in a new career move, counseling should be your next step because there's, there's going to be a real strong need for counseling when we get through this for all of the um, families that are torn apart. I guess where I see COVID misinformation affecting us is just our city politics and our state politics and our national politics um, and health measures. I do a lot of parent-led advocacy. I'm one of the co-lead, one of the three co-leads of a group called Growing Alaskan Leaders, and we're 500 some parents and caregivers in Alaska. And so we have doing have been doing a lot of organizing to uh, get the Anchorage School District to institute a mask mandate um, back in the summer. That's what we spent a lot of our organizing energy doing, um, and also addressing other COVID mitigation policies in the Anchorage School District. We also um, have organized a lot around the uh, the mask ordinance at the municipal level. Um, so that's where it it takes most energy. It's it's less my job and more. Uh, what I and 500 some other parents are, feel called to do, um, which is to protect our children and our community from COVID um, by, by advocating for and organizing for sane public health science-driven policies. That was ATME producers Ada Bjorkman and Madison Knudsen speaking to Laura Norton-Cruz, her children Ida and Rio, and her parents Barbara Norton and Bradley Cruz. You've been listening to Podcast in Place from Alaska Teen Media Institute. 
Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengast, with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including United Way of Anchorage for the Healthy Communities Funding Program. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the United Way of Anchorage or the Municipality of Anchorage, Anchorage Health Department. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There, you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Carl Cranston-Simmons. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.